Hello and welcome back to the Swimsuit Elite podcast. Today we chat to the hugely dedicated and experienced coach Mark Rose. Having begun his coaching career while still swimming on international teams himself, he knew exactly what he wanted from really early on. He's coached at Rotherham Metro, Joe's home club, Trident Swimming Club, DaVenture Excel and is now head coach at City of Manchester. To date in his coaching career, he's coached over 60 swimmers to international competitions and has helped them to achieve Olympic and Paralympic qualification, finals and Paralympic medals too. Having proven himself as a successful age group and senior coach, he's been part of the British Women's staff teams between 2003 and 2019, having been an off-site staff member for the Olympic team in 2012 and a full coach for the Paralympic team in 2012 and 2016. Today we chat with him about his desire to be a coach and how he built his coaching philosophies, whether anything changes when transitioning swimmers from age group into senior level and his experiences at the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Also, what his return to the pool strategies look like for his swimmers. Big thanks to Mark for talking to us today and we hope you really enjoy listening. Hi everyone. So, Mark, welcome. You've uh, you've been a coach for, for a good while now. You've got lots and lots of experience. But uh, how are you today? How are you coping? Um, all, all pretty good from this end, really. Uh, yeah, it's uh, been a challenging time, and it's still going to be a challenging time for the foreseeable future. But you know, we're we're all working in elite sport. We're used to these challenges, aren't we? It's just another hurdle to come over. Definitely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. It's just, it's just another hurdle. Like, it's quite a big hurdle. It's a unique hurdle. We've not gone through it before, so you can't just use your experience. But it's de- yeah, definitely a hurdle, and we can get through it. There's no uh, plan for this, are there? You know, um, uh, you know, councilman and McGlishko were certainly not talking about this in their textbooks when they were doing coach education stuff. So, I think uh, yeah, it, 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 it's going to be a really interesting time. Uh, as as we return to the water and we get back on it, but you know, it, I think experience does help because it's experience of people. But the reality is, is is you know, it, it's a question of making sure that first and foremost, as a coach, you're looking after yourself. As a swimmer, you're looking after yourself. You know, it, it, it's it, that's the really important thing. Yeah, uh, it's good to have you on, mate. And uh, obviously, we kind of go way back, right back to. Uh, to Rotherham Metro, the mighty Rotherham Metro, and it's uh, good to have someone on with a proper accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you mind yeah. giving us a bit of an overview, mate, of how you started, like, transition from your swimming career into your coaching career and how you've ended up being uh, heading up Manchester Aquatics? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I've had a pretty straightforward journey, to be honest. Um, some people that I've spoke to don't think it is, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 for me, I, it it felt like a natural progression. Once I, I sort of, I was an early developer. I was one of the lads that were kicking six foot at 12 years old and starting to win stuff. And I really enjoyed the lifestyle. I enjoyed the the, the camaraderie amongst the swimming group. I, I enjoyed the, 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 the fun, the banter with coaches. Um, and I enjoyed going to competitions as we all do. So at, at the age of 12, 13, I met a, a a concrete decision and I can remember doing it thinking I, I want to coach I don't want to go and do anything else I just I, I want to stay in this as long as I um, and I had ambitions to obviously every, as everybody does to swim for the country and, and gain international honours and, and win nationals and all those things but the reality was is, is I was playing a bit of a longer term uh, game if you like uh, right back to the point, I remember being in a careers interview at my school at Thriver Comprehensive, which is, uh, Joe will know, it's not the most salubrious of venues, even in Rotherham. And uh, the careers advisor told me I was, uh, it began with F, and I was an idiot because uh, nobody ever made any money from sport, unless you were a footballer. Um, and, and I didn't quite understand that and ended up getting put on report with because I walked out of a careers meeting. So, yeah, maybe it's that uh, South Yorkshire bullish personality that we've all got that, you know, well, I'll do it then. Yeah, But yeah, absolutely. And I only ever wanted to coach. So I I swam for quite a long time. I mean, we swam together a little bit, Joe, you know. uh, I think I was in my mid to late 20s when you were swimming in the same squad as me as a teenager. Yeah, you were even Um, longer. 
Absolutely. <laughs> to your shoulders. And, yeah, yeah, it was. It was back in the days, you know, the, 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 uh, the great 90s. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just carried on swimming for a number of reasons. Number one, I, was, uh, I loved it and I loved race. But number two was, it's, it was pretty apparent that, um, and I wasn't being negative about it, but I wasn't going to go to the Olympic Games. I made a few of the, the sort of England teams, you know, the, the teams that are picked from the second string from trials. Uh, I've won nationals a few times um, on, a, on a number of events. Um, I got a, a, a British junior record at one point. You know, I, I, I weren't exactly garbage. I were a decent swimmer, but I wasn't going to make the big deal. I wasn't going to go and, and do the five ring me as a swimmer. Yeah. So I, I decided to carry on with focus and try and make these second string teams. And the reason was, is I then plonked myself at the side of the coaches on the buses, wow. in the airport lounges, on the poolside, in the hotel restaurants. And sat and talked to them about what, why they coached, what they did, what they believed in, what, you know, what, what, what was their physiology background, what was their educational background, because I was not academic. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have a degree, a formal degree. I have a, 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 a qualification afterwards that relates to that. But um, the reality is, is, is as a non-academic, I was going to channel all my energy in, in getting educated in whatever form I, I needed to become as good a coach as I could be. Um, and with that, all that in mind, I actually approached our coach, Colin Cunningham, and said, uh, next time there's a coaching job up, I want to have a go at this because I want it to be long term. And I want to, the phrase in Rotherham is serve your time. It's serving your apprenticeship. So I said to him, I want to serve my time a little bit here. And if there's something I can do that fits in around training, I'd like to do it, even if it's just a couple of sessions a week. And he gave me a group that was four sessions a week, um, a little place called Maltby, Maltby Sea Squad. Um, and it ended up being quite, quite a good group. Uh, that group, um, there was 18 in that squad. 12 of them got national medals at some point. And I think that that was part of that was luck, but some of the most of those people went on to do that in other venues, but they, they went on. We got that grounding in those kids and we talked then about putting the basics in place for them and, and getting that long term development plan in place. Um, and what I really thank Colin for is he let me go and fail. So he didn't criticize any of the plans. It, 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 I remember the first couple of plans I went to him, they were garbage. But he let me have a go with it, let me roll with it. He realised these kids were 11 years old, 12 years old. It wasn't the end of the world. There was a bigger picture to play here. Yeah. And they were still getting a lot out of it. And um, I think you might have been part of that group that won National Junior League with Rotherham in the early 90s. Absolutely. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... and there were there were three 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 C squads in Rotherham, and out of that um, group of about thirty six athletes, every single one of them from Maltby went into that group and went and raced and won the national final against people like Leeds, and mm -hmm. which at the time then was a powerhouse in age group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, a talented bunch of people, very driven. I don't ever remember having to speak to anybody about attendance. Everybody wanted to be there. It was it was just good fun. So, um, yeah, so I went through that time as a swimmer, picking everybody's brains when I was away at meets, um, and also talking to the people that were uh, my competitors at the time, same age group, uh, and, and what they were doing with their coaches. You know, the guys at Barnet, people like Sarah Price and Mark Foster that were, the, the, that were working with um, Dougie Campbell at the time, and they, they were firing on all cylinders and winning, winning uh, British club champs. Um, so... I only actually stopped swimming when I was 29. And the only reason I did is because I got a, an offer I couldn't refuse, really. And it was a small club in Derbyshire called Trident. Okay. And um, I got, they offered me a head coach's job. They, they spent a bit of time trying to persuade me to do it because I didn't really want to stop swimming. You know, I, I were enjoying it still, you know. Um, and uh, it was good money for the hours worked. But more importantly, there were a couple of people on that committee that were incredibly influential and knowledgeable in what was then the ASA. 
one, one fella went on to write Swim 21. And he's now the um, head of licensing, a guy called John Idle. And he was my line manager. And um, the chair was a guy called Chris Bostock, that you may have heard of, that has been an ASA president. And he, he basically ran nationals for the, a, a few years. Um, so I got a chance to learn about the politics of the sport. So I saw that as, as, as not just an opportunity to coach and earn a few quid. It was actually an opportunity to take a, there was a hole in my knowledge. I didn't know I got until they talked about it and it was right. Now I can go do that. So I did that for a few years. Um, that was an interesting club. Um, only had 14 hours of pool space. Um, there was, it's, it's just outside of Loughborough actually in Long Eaton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, 14 hours of pool space, all at weird times, you know, like nine till 10 at night, you know, the usual stuff you hear from small clubs. Yeah. And they'd, they'd had, I think they'd had one national qualifier ever before. Um, and the summer we left, we got uh, six finalists, three of them on podiums. Wow. So, and one girl broke British junior record. You may remember a national short course at Norwich one summer. Um, I think it was 2001. Wow. Yeah, well, the, the, the Heather Dilks won the hundred fly and, and and broke British junior record. Um, so again, good group of people. Didn't have to persuade people to attend. People bought into it. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go and coach at Deventio. Yeah, uh, that was a big break, if you like. I'd been part of a little group uh, called Select Coaches Group that Bill Sweetnam and Joe Atkinson had put in place for education. Um, and I landed this job, which was all the local clubs in Derbyshire working together, which Trident, one of my teams, was part of. And that was a great opportunity. Uh, strangely, for no more money, but twice the work. Uh, <laughs> a great opportunity. Um, and, uh, yeah, that really flew. Derbyshire had, had always produced a few people like Ross, like Dean Milwayne, you know, that had, that had had to move out of Derbyshire to really achieve, and they'd gone to Bath and then Loughborough or Offshore Centre. Um, but this was a real chance to put in place 20 hours of pool space, land training, you know, put the basic meat and two veg in place for a good swim program. And, and it was very well supported and still is. Jamie that's running Deventio now, he's, he's working really well with those clubs there. It, 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 it's, it's, it's really flying again. Um, and that was a great opportunity. At that point, I think out of the kids that we took in, 40 kids, um, and there were kids, there were no adults then. Right. There were six of them that had made nationals. I stayed there five years. The last summer, we won nationals, and out of those, the, the 40 in the group that we coached, 26 people walked away from Sheffield with a gold medal. Right. Wow. It's impressive. A gold medal as well. Yeah, that was a, a really, really satisfying thing to happen. We had 16 people swim for Britain. Um, and I think, again, not having to persuade people to attend, not having to deal with, you know, that, that some of the BS that goes on when you, you, you're trying to work in some programs because people are, are, are wanting to go to girl guides and scouts instead of come swimming. And, you know, it, none of that happened. It, I've been very lucky with the groups I've coached. Um, and then the Beacon centres started and I spoke to the, the guy who was heading up England talent then a guy called Nick Selwood and we looked at a couple and, and I applied for Manchester and got that. Um, Manchester was a car crash when I got there. Um, the what, year was car that? Crash. what year was that Mark? Uh, straight after Beijing. Right okay. Straight after Beijing and um, it was uh, 120 odd grand overspend every year. It was losing a fortune for the local authority. There were 22 people in the water in 54 hours of pool space. Right. Mm. Two, two people had got national times. Uh, one girl called Katie Cooper was a decent swimmer. And somebody that you'll know, Lauren Quigley, had one <laughs> national time as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, the, the, the great benefit of that was it, it was a, a blank sheet. And, and the guys at Manchester basically said, do what you want, how you want, in the time frame you want, just try and lose us less money, get rid of complaints. It was full of written complaints. It was really political. Everybody was arguing. And get some Mancunians on, on, on some, you know, in some competitive swimming. So it was pretty easy remit. 
that, and I went through quite a reflective point then because if you can imagine walking into a program after getting up at 3.30 a.m. to go to Deventio and uh, coaching and then working all day and getting home at nine o'clock at night and doing that five or six days a week for yeah. five years, I'd got 22 kids that, and one of them I was teaching tumble turns to first session. It was like, geez, oh, what am gosh. I doing here? This is patterns. Um, and the attendance was pretty much around about 50% from everybody. So it, it was really back to basics. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And I spent a bit of time with um, Michael Scott at the time and Chris Martin. If you remember, Chris Martin used to head up the development program. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time with Chris at that point. And we, we talked about um, what was needed. And one of the things that Chris made me realize is that what I'd done at C Squad Maltby, at Trident, and at Deventio wasn't an accident. It was actually, I'd built the culture before I'd even thought about the coaching program. Right. So that, that's what we went to work doing in Manchester and we built a culture. And we did that through stealth. You know, we, 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 are, we basically gave people more attention if they put more in. And we didn't say it, we didn't publicize it. Um, it, was, it was literally the more you attended, the more attention you got. Uh, and, and we started to create that uh, give to get culture. Um, and that went quite well. Um, in 2011, um, we'd got, I think it was five people on European junior team and five people on world junior team. I was head coach at world junior team. We got seven medals there and we got seven medals at the European juniors. Uh, Lauren Quigley broke uh, European record. Um, we, uh, you know, it, it was just a really good summer. And then uh, we had a girl called Emma Saunders that went to Comic Games and, and won a couple of relay medals that uh, you'll know well, Amy. Yeah, um, yeah, freestyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that that sort of cultural shift worked really well. And, and obviously, Lloydie made it to uh, to London on that relay with you. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it was all down to culture, in in my opinion. Um, and there was no groundbreaking physiology. There were no groundbreaking sets and training sessions. It wasn't any particular physiological model. You wouldn't label it as a, a as a Albright model or a Trophine model. Or it was basically people being the best versions of themselves on a day to day basis. Um, so yeah, it, it really was culture first. But it took me a couple of steps to realise that that my strength was creating cultures, if you like. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's fantastic. And it sounds like, um, it sounds quite similar to what our former coach Ian Armaga says as well. Like he really worked on creating a culture within Loughborough University programme over the years as well. Um, but I mean, you've had athletes, like you've kind of mentioned there, from age group level through to senior level. I mean, you said that you started thinking about looking at other people's philosophies and potentially even building your own from a really young age when you were still swimming. What would you say your philosophies are now take, with everything that you've learned, taking swimmers from age group into senior? Very different. So it, it's a case of, <coughs> excuse me, it's very much um, making sure that at an age group level, you're building a base and you're building an engine. And, and it, it, this is not rocket science. It's known to coaches throughout the land there are the outliers there that don't do that and the, the people that haven't had that background but i think you know um prepubescent and during pubescence there's got to be some some volume in there and volume doesn't necessarily mean mean meters it can be time at task it can be um time at athletic activity as well uh, so i've had athletes that look like they've not had a huge amount of swimming background one girl um that came to me uh, that was a pretty decent 150 swimmer um uh, rebecca guy i don't know if you yeah, remember yeah. her she, yeah so um she swam for britain once um and i think she retired too early because she wasn't anywhere near the finished article but she had other things to do in her life and that's great but yeah. but rebecca came to us on on like six sessions a week for term time only from a school life um but what she had is a really good coach in Bristol, a guy called Jez, who, who used to work a technique and keep her, keep her at A1, not let her sit at threshold all day. 
and yeah. just to keep up with everybody else. So she she'd get those building blocks in place. But what she was doing is she was cycling everywhere. She was playing sport at school. So she might have only looked like she was doing six hours a week, but there were probably 30 hours a week of athletic activity going on in that week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and she's, she's a good example, and she doesn't mind me quoting her with that, but there are lots and lots of others that I've come across that we've taken to national final, national medal level, that look like they've not got a huge background, but actually they're just doing a hell of a lot of sport, and right. they are athletic, they're skillful, they have skill acquisition. You know, they, we've come across these guys that just seem to be able to do a long jump and they've never trained for it before, but all of a sudden they're winning school long jump champs and, and yeah. representing their local town. And yeah. then, they're doing, then they're winning the cross country and then they're, you know, they're suddenly on the cricket team in summer and football in winter. And, you know, and, and, and it's not an accident. These kids are intuitively inquisitive about their athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, so as an age group of the philosophy really is, is is getting busy if somebody came to if I was coaching an age group squad now a 14 and under squad and somebody came to me and, and had half a dozen different activities throughout a fortnight period if you like and, and I try not to just plan in a seven day period if they were doing half a dozen different activities and it meant that they could only do maybe five out of seven sessions I would keep them in I may not have done in 2000 and 2003 when I didn't, I'd not had that chance to reflect and see the journey of people doing that. I'd have probably pushed them to, to get in the water. Yeah. Um, but I, I now realize at that point, especially pre-pubescence, lots of different activities, pretty much. It's not as good as swimming, but it's not far off. But they still need to do a decent chunk of swimming. Yeah. They need to be doing... 60 minutes minimum at a one with the right technique if you're trying to correct a hand position a head position you know the the, the hip tilt whatever it may be then there's just got to be time and task with that so um don't don't i don't want people to misunderstand that that means that they don't need to go swimming as much they do and it needs to be done purposefully Ten thousand hours is not just done aimlessly it has to be done with real focus and intent um and then Ignore anaerobic loading with young kids because kids want to race, but I try and keep the racing short. Um, and then we start to increase that anaerobic loading as the, the it looks like you know they've, they've had the growth spurt, they're starting to fill out, you know. Um, but then seniors, it's very, very different and it's very individualized. We've, we, my group's got around about 12 in at the moment. Um, goes up to 16 we normally four lanes whether that's four lanes long course or four lanes short course um and there can be three or four sessions running uh, similar warm-up similar swim down similar drill sets and stuff skill stuff coming together having a laugh together but when it comes to main sets you know there are a multitude of ways of doing 30 50s you can do 30 50s going the first 25 at max and cruising back you can do 30 50s best average um Somebody like Chloe Golding that's, that's going 2.9, 200 backstroke at the moment, she would probably kick the pants off most males um, that are 200, 400 pace. She's hard as nails, resilient, robust, recovers quick. Um, so you, 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 t- you turn the volume up, if you like, on somebody that's as, as, as good as that. Yeah. Um, but then you've got somebody like Sam Horrocks, who's in the group, um, who takes a little bit longer to recover, but he's certainly not lacking in intensity. You know, the lad's got 5,200 fly and he, he, he's, he, he's got a 157 to his name. Um, and, you know, he, he's not he's not any easier. It's just slightly different. He's understanding what those individual athletes need, especially as they grow and change. So mm-hmm. I've coached Sam since he was 13. Um, and he's gone from 10 400s at 13, uh, 13, 14 years old. If I give him 10 400s now, it's probably with loads of rest. Keep your heart rate 120. Stick some fins on for opposite ones. Try and reduce your stroke count on even ones. You know, it's a lot easier. Whereas 10 400s would have been five minutes, go, make the turnaround lad. How old is Sam now, Rosie? Sam would be 25, 26. Yeah, just Um, see the difference there. Yeah, yeah. Um, But... uh, uh, 
part and parcel of that, that philosophy of coaching seniors is encouraging them to be the best coach of themselves. My job is not to coach them. My job is to lead them to coach themselves. Um, when, when, you, when you get past university age, in my opinion, and you're still swimming, then there needs to be a, a serious amount of input from that person because they will know their body more than anybody else. You know, they don't need chasing to go to bed early and turn the phone off before they go to bed and eat properly. And they're doing it because they want it. Yeah. So they need to have input into what's going on. And that doesn't mean that they get to decide all the time because <laughs> especially at this moment in time when we are in, uh, we are really lucky to have got access to a multitude of training programs. Right, yeah. And everybody thinks that going, you know, suddenly there's a there's a cult goes on for six to twelve months of everybody needs to go thirty twenty fives and do ultra short race pace training and yeah, maybe that might work for the odd person, but there's still nobody ever won a major games off that type of program. Yeah. yeah. So, really interesting. So yeah, it, it's but if somebody wants to try that, it's discussing it and why. Where do you think that fits in with you? Where's the evidence? Let's test that, which we bring the support staff in. Let's test your physiology to make sure that that can work. I mean, that was one of the things that we were going to kind of say to you, like, does that amount of input the swimmer has into their own training programme change as they get older, which obviously you've kind of said, yes, it does there. And you've spoken a bit about like the physiology of how things change from age group to senior. How about the change in kind of the mentality that you that you need to kind of be aware of around training with age group and training with senior squads and that coach athlete relationship how does that change um, it's a very adult environment on the pool side at manchester with my squad uh <laughs> it, it's it's there's a lot of adult banter if for want of a better phrase but but none of it is uh disingenuous and none of it is could be misinterpreted like that. We 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 pretty much toe the line with that. It, it, it's the environment is very much the athletes are free to question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Done appropriately, and part and parcel of being the best version of yourself as an athlete is learning to question appropriately. Because if you're going to be good, you've got to work with more than one coach. Because the likelihood is, is your coach is not going to be the one that takes you to the call room at the Olympic Games. It's going to be somebody else. You are very lucky if your coach goes to the Olympic Games and gets a deck pass. There is, they are so rare. You're going to have to work with physios, soft tissue, doctors, sports science biomech, S&C. Then you're going to have to start working with strategic leads because you know people that are working in strategic positions in governing bodies are going to want to have input to what you're doing and, do, and decide. We did an exercise um, a few weeks ago where we got Chloe Golding to list all the people that have influence in her decision making. 14 people. Wow. It's a bit, it's a team effort, isn't it? Yeah. And, and the athlete needs to, part of our job as coaches is the athlete now needs to know how to question to get the answers that they need. And they just like learning a swimming skill, just like learning a musical skill. If you're a musician, you're gonna make mistakes. And and the 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 track for us as a team of staff is to ensure that those athletes are free to make those mistakes and learn from them. Just like you're free from from um, being vilified if you try a different way of pacing a race and it goes pear shaped. That 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 is the same deal. So um, we have a, a, a lad called Jamie Ingram that's going 54, uh, 100 fly. He's, he looks like Ivan Drago. He's an absolute giant. Um, and he's just only just starting to get strong and he's, he's, he's coming up to 21. And um, his questioning in the last three years that he's worked with me has changed massively. And it is absolutely brilliant now. It's probing. It's detailed. It's... He has a real sense for checking his understanding of what anybody's saying. So it's a case of making sure that those, those athletes can develop that skill as well. Because if you're going to be a senior, 
you know, you've been on teams, um, you know, did we, was it Cyprus we went to in the run into London? And there was more staff than there were swimmers. Could <laughs> be right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and all of those staff are delivering something that you as an athlete can get something from. Mm. But you, you only have one shot at your career as an athlete, so you have to make sure that you, you own it, really. Uh, yeah. And that's my, I see that as my job with a senior, developing somebody. We have a couple of youngsters, 17, 18-year-olds on our group, um, and I'm a bit more dictatorial with them, but we're starting to tease the questioning out of them and, and asking them to make decisions. And as long as it doesn't have a real detrimental effect, we, we, we let them do what we believe is going to fail, but then we put in place a, a, a reflective process. As you can imagine, you two know me well, it's very informal, the reflective practice, because that's my coaching style. It, yeah. There's no sit down with a PowerPoint and a, and a whiteboard. It, it's like, I did that feel. What, what, what do you think you need to do next time and how and why? That's yeah. the big thing, why? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, more facilitated, yeah. really, than, um, than giving the answers at all. And like you say, learning is, is what needs to take place for any athlete to grow and get better. But in order to learn, you need to make some mistakes now and again. And the only way you're going to make mistakes is by going outside of your comfort zone, isn't it? And I think more often than not, I think, I think people feel it's working, we'll just stick doing this. But really, your potential could be that bit more by just pushing outside of that comfort zone. But you're never going to know unless you do that. So, yeah, I think it's, it's all too easy to fall into that trap of not wanting to make mistakes as an athlete because your career does have a shelf life as an athlete. You can't go on forever but it's an important part of the process to make those mistakes for sure. Yeah, I think it is. And I, and I think there's got to be a case where you, you, you also give freedom for the athlete to say, actually, I'm under pressure. I want you to tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So want that. And, and, and that is also just as fine. And we've, we've gone down a great route educationally with uh, the governing bodies in UK sport of recent years, where it's been all about uh, empowerment and, and uh, there's, there's, Lots of stuff that I genuinely believe in, but sometimes some personalities want to be told and they should not be made to feel like they are a lesser developed product just because they want to be told. There's, right. there's the, every individual needs to feel comfortable with the relationship they build with their coach and their support staff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, really, really interesting what you're talking about there, Mark. I think like. I do, th yeah, I think for that, some people, like if you've got to question everything, it might create a little bit of doubt so that those people just want to be dictated to and just like get the confidence from yourself and from your staff to say, this is exactly what we think is going to work for you. And they'll just say, great, and just go do it. Other people need to know the hows and the whys. But I don't think that many, maybe I'm wrong on this, maybe correct me, but may maybe many programs, many coaches would encourage that so much. Most of them still seem to, I think because swimming in general is a little bit of an age group sport. And then when you get to seniors, they're still dictated to in that same way almost. So they're like, here's your session, here's your work, go and do it. You're not really asked to question that program. That's seen as maybe respectful. I've never really seen that encouraged as much as what you're um, saying that you guys push. It's interesting that, Joe, because uh, I think maybe that could be a perception of because there is that much age and youth swimming. Mm. Um, some, some of the old guard coaches uh, were very, uh, that I've learned from, Dave Heathcock, you know, Dave Haller, yeah. very good at, at empowering their athletes and ensuring that they have those decisions, they, they had control of those decisions. Um, but like you say, the, the other thing as well, Joe, is... I am convinced that as a coach, you need to coach to your own beliefs and personality. Yes. And if you believe as a coach that actually we're going to do regimented behavior, yes. then actually that's right for you to deliver. Because if you do something that you don't believe in, you're going to do a pants job. And, 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 and I liken this as regards to if we all did the empowerment model, then what would happen in, if every person coming out of uh, school, college, university did that, there'd be nobody in the police, 
There'd be nobody in the Army, Navy, RAF. There'd be nobody that's nurses. There'd be nobody that would be paramedics. Yeah. Because those, those, those um, vocations tie into people that, that want to be in a hierarchical order. They want structure. They want direction. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's part and parcel of the, the beauty of the human species, that there is so much diversity. And the fact that no one size cap fits everybody. Yeah. Is that not very, very tricky as, as you as a coach, having all this variety of you know, different personality types and stuff and, and your coaching stuff? That must be quite hard to fix. It's interesting you mentioned Dave Haller as well, because I remember being on, Dave was a, one of my coaches in a training camp once, and he said to me, seven grand, make it up yourself. And I just had no idea what to do. <laughs> After a warm-up, I was like, what next? <laughs> but yeah, that <laughs> so it's quite tricky to... That sounds like Dave. Yeah, he does, make it up yourself, he read his paper. But um, like you say, he, he empowered his athletes. Dave Davis, when he swam with him, knew exactly what he was going to get on with on that surface session, whereas I was completely lost because I never had sessions thrown at me like that before. So I was, I was lost there. So how, how do you cope with that as a staff? Like, what, what does it take to be a good coach to manage all these people? Stop, stops me getting bored. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like working with different people. You know, I, yeah. I'm a, if I'm honest, I'm a bit of a social animal when it comes to work. I, I like the interaction. So the fact that everybody's different floats my boat um we've even got a girl from Romania that it, it, it finds it really challenging that she can make decisions because she's come from a really former communist hardline 100 grand a week program as an age grouper coming into us um you know and she's but but part of empowering her has been great fun you know it, it it is difficult, but nobody enters elite sport to do it. It's the easy option, do they? No, absolutely. You know? And, and, and it, it's difficult in a good way, really. You get, into, you get into be part of the journey of people being the best versions of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, makes, it makes the career really appealing, I think, that, that aspect of it in particular. Um, just to yeah, be on that journey with people and be an influence on that journey as well as a coach, like really a, a huge influence as a coach because you have to actually then manage the staff around them probably more than they do to an extent. You know, you're in charge of who has that job maybe to, to sports science or for physio or for whatever it is that suits your athletes and you kind of get to make those decisions and have that influence. So, yeah, really, really attractive yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the difficulty is, Amy, is, is, is not the athlete, it's normally the support staff. And mm. uh, my pal Luke, who I work hand in hand with, we, will probably listen to this and think, oh, I don't think I'm difficult. But that's not, that's not what I mean. It's, it's actually sometimes <laughs> as head coach, you just go, do you know what? No, we're doing that yeah. with the staff. You know? and, and it doesn't happen very often, but it's like sometimes it's like, no, we're not doing that. We're prioritizing this. Mm. And that's what we're going to do. And... They, a very robust Yorkshireman um, that gets to the point quickly. He, he, that can sometimes come across quite. Um, what's the phrase? I, I don't mean aggressive. Oh, yeah. I mean you know intimidating at times. I've been been called intimidating by staff. I've got a really good physio that's that will that's a northern girl, and she tells me how it is, and she says you were a bit intimidating in that meeting, and you know so. Again, the gift of feedback. So it's encouraging the staff as well to be able to question you. Yeah. Um, but sometimes as a head coach, you just have to make that call. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've kind of probably covered a few of these bits anyway now. But I mean, what do you think, I don't know, maybe in three or four different, different words, would make, what makes a good coach? Uh, it has to be a passion. Passion, yeah. They, you know, you... you you're not going to get up at, I mean, club coaches are getting up at 3.30, o'clock. You know, you're not going to get up at that time for 30, 40 years unless you, you're passionate about it. Yeah. Um, it's not the best paid job in the world for the number of hours. I mean, if you were a very good, skilled, um, I don't know, about car bodywork person, painter, if you were a great joiner or 
plumber electrician doing this many hours you'd earn twice as much but you certainly won't have as much fun yeah um and so there's got to be that passion there i think you've got to be inquisitive One of the things that frustrates me at times about governing bodies is, is, is they look at it and go, well, that person's had that education a few years ago. That's it. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. It's just the, 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 the very nature of people having a long-term career in co- coaching, they're inquisitive because every athlete's a slightly different journey. Yeah. Um, so that passionate, inquisitive, and if I were to pick three, it used to be driven, and that's different to passion, right? But I also think now I would change that. Now I'm a little bit older. I'm I'm, I'm in my late forties. It's it's more about balance. Right. So having that, that balance in your life to be able to then still have the energy. You, you two have been through the circuit as swimmers. You know you'll go through the major meet, and then there's that that dip, and you end up with, run down with colds when you've come off a when you you need to go have your break, and you you struggle to recover, and then it's time to get back in, and you feel like you could have just done with another week. And now imagine that in your forties, fifties, and and some people in the sixties. And I used to look at people. That were, that were older than me. I remember Terry Dennison taking a, a really big chunk of time off at some point. I thought, flipping heck, why would you do that? I now understand why. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, um, uh, coaching can burn you out. So you need to make sure that there's, there's, there's some balance. Um, and one of the great things I learned is, is to turn my phone off. UK Sport told me that as we ran into London. You know, get it on flight mode, get it out of the way do some other stuff. Um, so yeah, passion, inquisitive, but have some balance. Yeah. Right, yeah. Very smart, mate. Yeah. Good, good answers to that. Yeah. I understand what you're saying there. I think and all of them, that balance really important. And going back to what you said before with like teaching your athletes to question, I feel like you're not only you're teaching them skills for sport, it's stuff that they're going to transfer into like later in life when they need to go into a working environment, whatever that ends up being. In all aspects, I feel like they're very important skills. And as you say, burnout for coaches has got to be you know, just as thought about as burnout for athletes. We all hear about that, but you don't think about it with coaches. And you mentioned going to London and stuff. and Because you must, as a coach, sort of almost live and die with your swimmers' performances. Like going to a meet, yeah, obviously you've got 14, 20 guys in a squad. One's going to have a great swim, one's going to have a bad swim, and your emotions are up and so we call it Joe. Exactly. Roller coaster, you're up and down and up and down. <laughs> so you live and die with them. But like you said, you put guys on teams at all levels, including Olympic Games. And you mentioned um, Paralympic Games as well. So, yeah. And then, like you mentioned, uh, poolside passes. They're very, very hard to get at, like, Olympic Games. If I'm right, I'm remembering this right, you, you didn't get a poolside pass for London 2012. But I'm pretty sure... I saw you walking around poolside at one point, Rosie. <laughs> I mean, Joe. I don't know what you mean. Gift of the gab, mate. I've always been ever, ever the blagger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I, I, I've been to a number of major meets. I even went to World Student Games that last summer to watch Golden Race and, and sign the stands. And, and, yeah. and there's actually there's a different dynamic, and, and you can get a lot out of that as a coach because you know you can watch the prep you can see the prep area you can see what they're doing at a distance without interacting and you can make you can then look at well what's worked what hasn't where is the independence and where isn't it yeah yeah where, where's and when you know an athlete inside out you can see what's happening to the body language fish expressions what's happening to the the posture how quick is their stride compared to usual are they stressed are they not stressed you can see these things and and it was interesting watching that four by one hundred relay that you were in, Amy, in London, sat in the stands, because you could see the the, the change in people's gait as they walked to usual. And we'd and I'd watched all of you four deliver good performance because obviously I had two girls that were trying to make that team, so I knew all about everybody else that was with the hundred three female, you know. So. <laughs> 
you, you looked at when when the pressure points was so being in the stands isn't necessarily a negative no no and and i had a great week mm. that that week it was it was a fantastic opportunity to to do that and and um, relatively stress free in a way because yeah. you could you could actually sit and learn um, if I remember, I wrote a report on the body language of, of staff after, as part of that. Um, oh, wow. And it, it was fascinating watching that. And I learned a lot watching people like Dennis and Michael and, you know, Ben and Ian were mates of mine, you know, we, 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 so, and, and it's watching the changes in them. But then the, the, the deck is a different environment and you, you're sort of putting your game face on as a coach because you've got to be on a constant. Mm-hmm. You cannot be emotive high or low and it does not matter whether your home athlete bombs or wins for everybody else you're looking after and everybody else that you're coming into contact with you have to be on a level that's absolutely crucial there's 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 little tricks we take yourself away and look in a mirror and check your facial expression you know little tricks like that as a coach you need to do and and it's it's having a constant stance on pull side Stand the same way. Put your feet in the same position. You know, it, 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 little things like that because you guys as athletes feed off that. If we're negative, it, it, it infects the swimmers. If yeah. we're over hyper, that's not usual. They're like, "What's going on with you? What's going on around here?" You know, yeah. and it does happen. Um, I had a, a, a very interesting experience in Rio at the Paralympics. I had a deck pass for Paris in 2012, and a deck. I had Somebody in 2008, I didn't go at all. Uh, a deck pass in 2012 and a deck pass in uh, 2016. Um, incredibly structured team under Chris Ferber at Paris, but very relaxed. But everybody knew their role really, really well. Um, but the strange thing was, in Manchester, in the club, I coached for four years a lad who was Brazilian. And I'm in Rio coaching at the Paralympic Games and this guy cleaned up <laughs> you know uh, five medals wow he had an absolute blinder the, the guy's you know he's, he's, he's a para and he's going 51 under three he's a proper athlete yeah, yeah. and we knew it was coming he went back um, a little bit earlier to Brazil and, and I was coaching by a um, um, FaceTime and his coach there was, was basically sticking a, an iPad on deck and I was watching stuff and giving feedback, writing sessions and sending them over to Brazil because they insisted that they've got to be there in the running. Right. Um, but this guy cleaned up and I had to look. Oh, yes, yes. Constant. <laughs> Inside, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I had a British girl that, that were winning multiple medals in, from Manchester. <laughs> I had, um, you know, a Brazilian swimmer that were winning multiple medals. Um, so we had a great week there. And I also had somebody that I've known for donkey's years, Sasha, suddenly turn around at, at, in his, his late 30s and break a world record and win. And, and he's a mate of mine, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but again, it's that constant. You, you've got to do that. You've got to have that game face. Um, yeah, it's familiarity. Otherwise, you just yeah. yeah, it's familiarity for the athletes as well. I know personally, I used to get very nervous. So if something was like say at olympics in 2012 my coach was ian like if he would have been totally different and <laughs> i'd say not as crazy as normal because he is always jumping around and energetic and everything if it wasn't like that that would have felt really odd and quite unsettling and probably made me more nervous so it, it's crazy how much of an impact just coaches body language have on the performance of a swimmer or an athlete and their parents don't understand the emotional fatigue that comes from a coach delivering that mm. absolutely not and for club coaches that are working really hard to win regional medals and get kids to nationals to spend from 7 a.m till 9 p.m two days in a row on deck at Ponce forge manchester wherever getting those kids through what is really important to those kids and those parents and that coach yeah. They don't understand why on Monday night that coach is knackered, <laughs> and and, and it, it, there's there's no two ways about it. it. It's physiologically and emotionally draining, and and again, this is we go back to the balance point. He's having that understanding, and it's a lot easier educating seniors to say, actually, I need a break. 
Yeah. I, I need a couple of days off, guys. I'm going to turn my phone off other than WhatsApp. If you need me, you really need to get hold of me, WhatsApp me. Yeah. And if, if, if it can wait, just give us 48 hours off. Yeah. And seniors understand that if you explain it to them. Um, it's hard when you're 15 and suddenly you've had a sleep and a, and a burger and suddenly you're recovered. You know, <laughs> everything's great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Bill Sweetnam taught us all to be tough, whether we were in the water or on pole side. Right. But I think we need to be smart and tough as well. Yeah. Definitely. Is that something you just learned yourself, Rosie, about like the body language and all everything you were talking about there? Or is that something you've taken from other coaches? Or did it come from being a bit of a fly on the wall, like in the stands at certain meets? Or was it a combination of all? It's the inquisitive bit, I suppose, Joe. It's something that always interested me. Um, I was, was in, were interested by some of his reactions when I first started coaching. I had um, a young lad that... Um, dropped a huge amount on 100 back at Yorkshire's when I were coaching at Maltby C squad. And I remember sitting down with him on pole side at Maltby pole saying, right, great job. But now we need to do this. You are three seconds away from what won last year's nationals. Right. This is what I think we need to do. And he broke down in tears. And, and he's saying, no, it's ever good enough. And I'm like, hmm, I've got this wrong. Yeah. yeah. This conversation could have gone better. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So um, it, 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 it's, it's understanding. It was that understanding. Because coaching is not about, not about how you deliver 10 400s. It's, it's how you work with the athlete and, and understand them. That's coaching. That, writing a set is training. Yeah. You know, we, we can all write a set because there is no right and wrong physiological model because 10 Olympic finalists will have 10 different ways of doing things. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, I've, I've always been inquisitive about stuff that. And then I was lucky enough, uh, Michael Scott put me on something called an elite coach program in about two. In fact, we were just as I started at Manchester. And that was a UK sport education program, a little bit weird, but in a great way, very interactive, very talking things through my, my sort of way of learning um, and you could request more information about you could request to go down different channels if you like and that was the one of the things they pushed me down and I, I spent time with cycling rowing um, athletics I did a little bit of uh, watching some stuff at Man City as they were developing and so it's, it's not just looking at swimming coaches it's it, it's looking at um, other coaches I suppose although Sweetenham sent me all over the world watching coaches and I didn't understand at the time that he'd watch me coach at Deventio and then think he's doing that but not well enough I know they're coaching California or of course does it really well I'll send him to see them for a couple of weeks yeah right um, smart. And, and then write a report on what you'd seen so he were a very smart cookie yeah. very smart cookie because he he'd He'd do that. He'd watch his charges, see where they were weak, then point them in the right direction yeah. to learn that. I mean, you were, you were saying that in 2012, you weren't on deck, you were in the stands watching your swimmers. And it was a great experience, even though kind of you weren't right in, in it with them at the time. And you were looking at all the body language. Did you go and see any other sports whilst in competition and look at any comparisons between other sports and swimming then did you see any differences didn't get any tickets oh but, um, <laughs> but i did blag in super saturday sounds right because yeah. as we came if, as we came out of the pool you could go around the back of the athletics track and do you remember where we went in and out for the opening closing ceremonies that great big tunnel yeah you know yes. you, as, yeah. You, that walkway that went in that went onto track yeah. um I blagged in through there and I watched Super Saturday. And if I'm really honest, I was just entertained. I didn't really watch the, the coaches there. I, I didn't spend much time watching other coaches other than ours and swimming coaches when we were during sessions. Um, the interesting stuff was the French team while their guys and girls were racing because they were very animated right. and they looked nonchalant most of the time, but then were animated when they were racing. But then as I've looked at that subsequently, they're like that all the time. So it was the yeah. name. Yeah, fair okay. enough. Oh, fair uh, we may have um, seen a couple of extra sports when we were down there as well. <laughs> it's just, uh, 
get a smile and uh, you know just look, look confident and get through. <laughs> so mate, what have um, like you said, alluding to everything you said there, you said you're very social. That's what you like about the job. You could go and do other things, and make more money into the social aspect as much as anything else. All this stuff you put in place, we're not doing any of that right now. So how have you been for yourself keeping your morale up? How have you been keeping the summer's morale up? And what, what are you asking the guys to do physically during this time? And what's going to happen once you get back into the pool, whenever that may be? We put in place quite quickly um, an alternative plan. Um, we, we decided that it was pretty obvious it was going to be around about three months when you looked at what was going on elsewhere in the world. So the support staff and myself sat down, we talked about it um, before we talked to the swimmers about it, but the alternative plan was, right, okay, where's the weakest area of your race? So, and we're going to do something on land that addresses that with no consequence of what's going on the war, in the water for a few weeks. So instead of just going, let's stay fit, let's get strong, it was like, what specifically can we do? Okay. So if your front end's weak, but your back end's great, we, we were like, if you do a lot of um, power stuff and a lot of speed stuff, you're not able then to keep up your super strength, if you like, your back end during training in a normal cycle because you're screwed from doing all that work. You've got the DOMS, you've got soreness, you can only channel it so far. The back end's going to drop anyway because we're not in water. Yeah. So don't worry about that. So we, we, we put in place, a SNC, our S&C coach, Lewis Fox, has done a phenomenal amount of work. Um, in detail with the athletes um, on, on turning their weakness into super strengths. Okay. And we don't know how much those athletes are going to respond because we can't test effectively. Yeah. But all, we've been working in three-week cycles of land um, and basically trying to step up, step up, step up. And they're doing a lot of sessions of land. They're, they're, they're doing uh, a similar amount to swimming, but in small pockets. Um, so that's been put in place. We're doing a lot of social activities. We have a Sunday fun day, so it's daft things like how many t-shirts can you get on in a minute, and we post it, and uh, <laughs> we we bake together, we do quizzes, a lot of stuff that other people are doing. Um, my kids have been baking with me athletes, uh, so <laughs> our kitchen were a carnage. Um, um, and a lot, lots of stuff like that, even playing psych together. You know, the, the game on, on your phone, where have a look for it. It's basically everybody joins in and you have to finish a sentence about people. Just oh, stuff right. like that. <laughs> so, we, but we've had quite engage, high engagement. Uh, one or two in the last few weeks have gone back to work because a lot of mine work because they're not funded. Because yeah. uh, funded places aren't what they used to be. They aren't, there aren't as many. Um, and we've, we've, we had a couple that still were doing uh, uni work remotely, so they were busy. So... We've, we've tried to keep a routine and a balance as much as possible. Um, we're not interested in body composition at the minute uh, because uh, what's the point? Um, so, yeah, we've, we've, we've put all that in place. Most of my group now are at least having one open water swim a week since that opened in early June. Chloe Golding's been swimming at Loughborough with the centre um, and, and gone down there. She comes back to Manchester on Monday. The Paranational Centre's back in the water at our place uh, next week. We're going to be a couple of weeks or so after that. Um, and she's getting in in a lane alongside them. So uh, we don't believe that we've lost anything. We actually think that it's a chance to gain something. Um, and we've even had, had a couple of girls that have said, I, I, I want to improve my mental resilience for race day. That's been their weakness. So in the middle of squad meetings, we've put them on the squad to present something. Right. <laughs> or, or, you know, we've, we've had a lot of athletes leading land training amongst the other club, the other uh, squads through the club. Right. Yeah. Because uh, most of the coach, coaches are on furlough. I'm employed by the city, so I'm not furloughed. But the club employs a lot of staff and they've, they've been furloughed. So um, the, um, a lot of planning went in place early and then... We, we, we're tweaking it in the background, but the athletes are delivering that. So Chloe, for example, delivers a core stability session to a couple of squads a week. Um, we've got a girl called Jess Calderbank that's a really twitchy sprinter that is an S&C graduate that's mm. pr 
proper into the SNC. Uh, she's and very very academic. She delivers to another squad as well. So um, th there's a lot of that going on. Uh, we worked out. We did a percentage. I'm saying we. I didn't do the percentage because I'm not analytical. I can't look at a spreadsheet all day. It, it wears me out. But we. Um, we as a team have looked at it and we reckon we're over 90% engagement. Brilliant. So that, that's really good. Um, I know some, some programs are having problems and we're gonna, as a sport, we're gonna need to think about this because we, we've alluded to that there could be some drop off from people. And yeah. I think that, in my opinion, the danger's not gonna be the first week back in the water, whether people come back because I think people will be desperate to see people that they, they like, that they want yeah. to spend time with, and they want to get a little bit of the normal life back. I think the danger is going to come five, six, seven weeks in mm. because they're going to be fatigued. Yeah. School for those kids, uni for others, is, is going to be back on track. There's going to be a lot of residual fatigue. Coaches, club committees, and parents, as well as swimmers, need to be mindful of this. We um, I know we, we, we've talked before about, you know, some squads are still having their summer break. Uh, James Gibson's group still having that summer break. We're planning in August bank holiday weekend, a, a very long weekend off and a true weekend off. Go and eat and drink what you like. Stay up as late as you like. Do what you want. Um, if we can do that with social distancing. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but it, it, go and enjoy yourselves. And we're going to plan in regular breaks because there's got, not going to be any meets that matter for some time. So. It, and I think it's making sure that there's bite-sized goals. And the other bit that coaches and parents need to be mindful of is some of these adolescents and kids are going to be fed up six weeks in, eight weeks in, nine weeks in. It's okay to give them another couple of days off. Yeah. You know, if we're truly in this to develop people to be the best versions of themselves so that then they drive becoming the best athlete they can be, every now and again, you're going to need to be flexible. And if that athlete needs it, because people are not getting a break now, people should not misunderstand what's going on now as a break. It's a break from training, but it's not a physical and psychological break. People are not free to do what they want. They're not going on holiday and soaking the sun up and, and eating too much junk food. It is not happening. People are eating maybe too much if they, if they are doing it because they're fed up. Yeah, yeah. And losing it is a comfort. So it's, they're still going to need, I really like what Gibbo's done there with his, he's still put that break in in August for his athletes because they're still going to need that psychological and physiological reset to go for the next season. So yeah. um, especially the level of his athletes doing ISL and stuff. So I, I think for us, we, 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 we did plan for getting in on the 6th of July. It's not quite worked out that way with political decisions. Oh. And we we're working, we're still working to that plan, but it's still a stage return. We've had a lot of stuff that's gone on in, and, and we're trying to communicate heavily. Um, my phone's normally got about a thousand unread WhatsApps from the, the groups that, that's in there. There's, there's one of the groups got 600 WhatsApps in it and they haven't read because they're all sending clips into each other about doing different exercises and different mm. activities. So there is a lot of engagement and I know a lot of coaches are doing a good job of that. You know, you talk to, there's, there's a coaches collective that's getting together a couple of times a week and, and, and doing presentations to each other and people are doing a lot of good work. Um, the danger is going to be, in my opinion, if we got on, let's say we get in in the 1st of August, is going to be mid-September and October, especially with January. So how do, you, how do you maintain that engagement? Is it those small goals, like you've said, is that the way to do it as well as, you know, if they need a break? given those extra long weekends, like what, what was the main thing that you're going to have to put across to your coaching staff and to keep them in the water? What would you recommend to other coaches? I, I would relate it to, you've got to relate the goals to what they see in their race. So, right, you know, okay. Joe, what is the weakness? What, right, let's put this in place. Then let's evaluate it every three weeks. Make sure it's working the LAMP programme. You know, um, and I think that's why engagement's been high for us. Uh, and we have been lucky with Lewis because he's employed by the university. Um, 
MMU, so he's not being furloughed because he, so he's still doing full delivery. Mm, um, and and I think that it, it, it's making sure that it relates. It's no good just going right. We're going to bench press more. Yeah. So what? What? How's that going to give me a medal? You know. You know. It's. It's. We're going to bench press more because that's going to lead us to this, and that's going to give us that. And when we get in water, we've got this and that, so we can then use it. So it, it, it's ensuring that the athlete, again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, is fully in the process of deciding what their goals are and then putting the plan in, in place for that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a great plan and you're really aware of how this is going to affect the <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you're really aware of how it's going to affect the athletes, not just physiologically, but psychologically as well. And how building into that is a really important process in this uncertain time that we're in. And it sounds to me like you said you've got ninety, was it ninety-five percent engagement or something? That's that's huge. <coughs> and so you've got this brilliant team atmosphere that's going on, and it's just a collaboration of of people and all their different skills. You've got swimmers actually taking sessions, which is pushing them out of their comfort zone, maybe in a different way giving them a different challenge, keeping them engaged. And it's all bringing everyone together as part of a big team. So I feel like you, you're in a great place as a squad right now. We hope so. Stance for definite. And we wish you all the best. And I want to say thank you for talking to us today, Mark. It's been really interesting. And we've, we've learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Thanks a lot. Good to see you both again. You Thank too, you. Rosie. Take care of yourself. Thanks, mate. Thank we'll you. catch up soon. Take care. Yeah, cheers, mate. Bye. All the best. Cheers. huge thank you to mark for chatting with us today we've really enjoyed it and thank you to you guys for listening we hope you've enjoyed it too make sure that you subscribe on youtube or spotify or all the other usual platforms and take a look at the other chats that we've had 